0: بسم الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا الا الحمد لله الله على سيدنا محمد الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم الحمد managed to finish the first part of Unit five, which was about moral character of Prophet Muhammad. Then there is a discussion about his mission and then about the Quran. With respect to his mission, of course Prophet Muhammad sallallahu like any other Prophet has many common tasks. For example, the Quran says that all the messengers have come to help people establish social justice. We have sent our messengers with clear signs. And we sent down with them the book and the scale so that people establish social justice. It means that prophets have come to show them how to do it and help them, but people have to do it. Or, for example, the Quran says that the, the prophets have come to all nations, the messengers have come to all nations, asking them to serve God and not to follow uh, will, for example These are general tasks About Prophet Muhammad in particular what we have in four verses of the Quran is that he had three tasks among other tasks one is in the dua of ibrahim and ismail when they were raising the foundations of kaaba they asked allah min alayhim ayatik, wa wa raise among them a messenger from themselves that would recite to them your book and would teach them the book and wisdom, and purifies them. In three verses of the Qur'an, reference is made to this request of Ibrahim and Ismail by saying that Allah has actually sent that messenger who would do these three things. Talawat al-Ayaat, al-Kitab and Tazkiyat nafs Reciting the Quran, teaching the book and wisdom and purification. For example, in Surah Jumma, Hu Allah di Baatha fil ummi yen rasulam minhom yatlu alayhim ayateh, zakihim bayu al nemuhumul kitalu al haqma. Lakadmanalla huala al mu'minin itbata fihim rasulam min and fusehim, yatlu alayhim ayateh and so on So, these are four verses that refer to these three tasks of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu But if you want to summarize everything, perhaps you can refer to this famous hadith of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in which he said, I have been sent. In order to accomplish noble traits of character. That's the summary, that's the core of his mission. And he says "ennamah." Those of you who know Arabic, you know that "ennamah" is called "adatul." What? "Adatul hasra." "Ennamah" shows exclusiveness. So it means that this is the only reason. Meaning that nothing can replace this nothing can be said to be more important (coughs) i have been sent to accomplish noble traits of character so a task that started already by previous prophets and messengers is going to be accomplished and completed by prophet muhammad and those of you who have studied books on akhlaq you may have come across this point that there is a difference between mahasin ul akhlaq and makarim ul akhlaq what's the difference good traits of character and novel traits of character makarim and mahasin mahasin is the minimum For example, if someone has been good to you, has been kind to you, what should you do? To do good that. uh, Reciprocation. This is called mahasan. It's a good trait of character. But you should not just stop here. You should do good to the people who have done bad to you, who have wronged you. You should give to the people that, when you were in need, they didn't give you. You should visit the people that they didn't visit you. This is called makar akhlaq This shows that someone's heart is large. Uh. Yes? So there was a story about Muhammad. He, his neighbor used to always throw trash on him, and he used to always hurt him until one day he bow out, and then Muhammad, um, what he did was he visited him, and he showed the, the love of Allah. Yes. Yeah. So when someone runs you and show kindness, then that's Makarim al-Akhlaq. As we have in Hadith. Pardon? Someone who does good and you do good is Mahasana Yeah, this is the minimum. This is what everyone is supposed to do. But we have to go to a higher level. Arte man haramak. The one who has denied you. His help, you give him. If you have a relative that has not observed Salay Rahim, you know, has not connected to the kinship, you should do it. He didn't come to visit you, you go and visit him. So, this is Makaramul Akhlaq. And we have to try to be, inshallah, following the example of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the mission of Prophet is a moral mission, is a moral uh, ministry. Then Prophet Muhammad <clears throat> Sallallahu Alaihi has offered us and presented to us a comprehensive plan for human happiness, whether it be individual happiness or social happiness, whether it be this world and the hereafter, inshallah, In the last unit of the book, unit 7, we have a discussion about felicity or happiness or what we call as-sa'ad. Normally in the books on aqad you don't find this. But we thought it's very important to know that if you follow the plan of God, what can you achieve? And this also sets the ground for our next book, which inshallah will be coming soon. We already started offering it as a test in some countries. Islamic Plan for Life so unit 7 sets the ground also for the next book so the prophet has given us presented to us a package that secures our happiness in this world and the hereafter happiness of individuals as has, happiness of also communities and human society as a whole this would not be only for dunya or only for akhirah it's for both dunya and akhirah rabbana we need hasana in both worlds, in all different possible grounds, whether it be your personal life, family life, communal life, your studies, your business, every aspect of your life. One of the things that we find about Prophet Muhammad. Is a description that Amir al has mentioned in Nahjul Balag. You know, there are many sayings of Amir al about the Prophet in Nahjul Balag. In one of them, he says, and I have quoted this in the book Self-Building, that the Prophet was Tabibun Dawarun B'tibbihi. He was a roaming physician, he was a physical. Sorry, he was a spiritual physician, not a physical, you know, doctor. Of course, he has given us, you know, recommendations about our physical health as well. But he was a spiritual doctor. But davar, what does davar mean? Rooming. Because, you know, the people who have a spiritual problems, a spiritual illness, they may not go to the doctor. those who are physically ill, because they have pain or other symptoms of illness, they go to doctor. If they don't have symptoms, they don't go to doctor and that's very dangerous, like cancer. Normally cancer in earlier stage has no symptoms and people don't go to doctor, don't check, and it's very dangerous. In a spiritual illness, There are symptoms, but symptoms are not something that everyone can quickly understand. It's not that you would have a headache, or I don't know, you would have, you know, a stomach pain, or you vomit or what. No. Maybe physically you are all right. Psychologically you suffer, but you don't know why. You don't think it has anything to do with your spirituality. You think you suffer because you don't have lots of money. You think you suffer because, for example, people don't love you. You think you suffer because you don't have fame and position. But in reality, you suffer because there are impurities in the heart. There are attachments to this world. So, spiritual doctors cannot wait for people to come to them. You have to go and offer your treatment. You know, imagine, even with respect to preachers, to ulama, scholars the most needed people the most needy people the most needy people they don't come to masjid they don't come to hose they don't come to lectures they don't read books they don't listen lectures <laughs> at least those who go to masjid or lecture or hose at least they have interest in learning and you can help them but who are in greatest need in community the people that never contact you, they never come and see you, they never ask questions, they never attend any program. So what should you do? You have to go and find them out and visit them. So Rasulullah was tabibun He used to go around and look for such people, and find them and offer treatment. And the hadith is very beautiful. You know, you can find it in actually about online you know uh Aminu says that he was taking with himself uh, medicine treatment equipment everything and look for people who are confused who are spiritually unable to see the realities and the truth if you want to give a summary of the main task and the list of the tasks of the Prophet and main things that he wanted to achieve. And he to great part achieved. We can mention these few things. One to revive Tawhid. Tawhid has always been there, but many times along with Shirk. And sometimes aligned with atheism. You know, we have polytheism and we have atheism. Polytheism means you believe in more than one Lord who are independently responsible for maintenance of this world, for giving sustenance and so forth. And so on and so forth. But uh, Tawhid is you believe in one God and one source and one origin for all goodness. So Rasulullah revived Tawhid, As you know, Mecca, which is the house of Tawhid. was a place in which they kept idols. Can you imagine? Like people who in hospital fridge, they keep germs and microbes. Or in the new operation, you know, theater, which has to be the most hygienic place in the hospital, if they have all the dirty stuff and the rubbish stored in there. So Ka'be, which is supposed to be a place that inspires everyone of Tawheed, they kept idols inside kaaba It's quite opposite to its use and function. But Rasulullah revived Tawheed. Another thing was Rasulullah not only tried to change people into better people but also try to establish a community in Mecca, and then a society in Medina, and move towards establishing a nation, a state, a new civilization. And you know how fast Islamic civilization was established, From a society in which there was no value for literacy, there was no value for central, you know, hierarchical structure of leadership, because they were very, you know, <clears throat> open and liberal. There was no government, central government. They were just tribes. But Rasulullah managed to bring a stability hierarchical structure, leadership, central government and also to make good relations first with non-Muslims inside Arab Peninsula and then with neighboring empires and nations. He also tried to help people overcome superstitious ideas. They suffered from lots of superstitious (laughs) ideas. Lots of bad customs and habits like killing their daughters, having no that much of honor for women. Women were sold like goods purchased by goods, slavery. So there was a big radical change. Uh, we have published in Message of Tha'ala in few papers by person called Mr. Nasr Iswahani on moral governance of Prophet Muhammad You have lots of uh, examples and references for moral governance of Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah gave equal treatment to everyone, rich and poor, people from Nobel countries, uh, sorry, noble families and people from ordinary families, they were treated the same way In the past, if someone from a rich and noble family was doing a bad thing, committing a crime, they were forgiven. And only people who were poor and had no support, they were punished or brought into justice. Rasulullah stopped this. Rasulullah gave equal treatment to men and women. In the past, women didn't own anything, but Islam gave women the right for ownership. And gave so much respect to women that mother was treated in Islam more respectfully than father. Of course, father is also respectfully treated, but mother is more respectful. Daughter is more respectfully treated as son. If you have daughter, you have to be more respectful towards your daughter than your son. So this is the amount of love that Rasulullah managed to teach people to have. When Rasulullah saw Lady Fatima, who was very young, very, very young, you know, in the the time of Prophet, Lady Fatima was very young. And whenever she was coming, Rasulullah used to stand up. You have to go back 14 centuries and understand the greatness of this. Even today, you know, if a leader, you know, is sitting with his people and then his, you know, young daughter comes, you know, he stands up. Even today, maybe it's not common. But go back 14 centuries ago in a society that just a few days ago they were killing their daughters. The messenger of God is standing up. Whenever he's leaving Medina, the last person to visit is Lady Fatima. And when he comes back, the first person to visit is Lady Fatima. And he says, she is Ummu Abiha, the mother of her father. So who has given so much respect to women? So, equal treatment legally to men and women, but when it comes to moral and spiritual and emotional, actually women are given priority. And also equal treatment of different ethnicities (coughs) and races. You know, they were unfortunately very biased against non-Arabs. They used to divide people of the world into Arab and Ajab. Okay, not every culture do that. You know, normally we divide people into different groups, but some cultures do that. We are one nation, rest of the world another. Arab, Ajab. And the reason they used to call other Ajab is because means not to be able to speak. So, they thought that they are the only people who can speak. Other people's language is not important. They are, they are not just able to speak. Okay? Uh, in Farsi, we say uh, is, his tongue is closed. Sometimes we use it, of course, to show mercy, for example, to a bird. We say this... Uh, Zabun Basteh needs help but they meant someone who is not able to speak his tongue is not working so with non-arabs they had this treatment then inside Arabs Quraysh no one is like Quraysh or for example in Medina they were not Quraysh but again Aus and Khazraj Oz were saying we are better Khazraj and we are better so so he had used every opportunity to be racist, <laughs> to be biased. But Islam came and brought equality. So Bilal, a black slave, is now given equal respect to a person from Quraysh who might be his master. And actually even not equal respect it is said that you have equal respect as far as your ethnicity is concerned but if someone is more pious we respect him more so we don't respect more because you are white or black or yellow when it comes to color equal respect But if you are more pious, more virtuous, or more knowledgeable, something that you worked for it, something that everyone can work for it, something that is your achievement, then you can be given more respect. But my color is not decided by me. So why I should be given more or less respect because of something that I had no role in it? Yeah? For example, why I should be given credit because I am born in this part of the world or another part of the world? This is not human. You give me more credit or less credit because of my geographical place of birth. doesn't make sense. Because of my color, my ethnicity, but if I am respected more or less based on my virtues, my achievements, that makes sense. So. Islam brought a system of evaluation which disregards those things which are baseless and has high regard for virtues and knowledge. <laughs> And also, يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوْتُوا الْعِلْمَةِ So there are two things which are very important. Taqwa, which means virtues in general, and knowledge. These two are very important. Okay. Now we move on to the next part of Unit 5, which is about the Qur'an, the glorious Qur'an. We have already discussed Mu'jizah in the previous unit. You remember? We had discussion about definition of Mu'jizah, technical definition requirements, and how Mu'jizah suited different times. Mu'jizah of Musa alayhi salam, Mu'jizah of Isa alayhi salam, Mu'jizah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As a reminder, we say that Qur'an was the biggest mu'jiza of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa and what is very interesting about the Qur'an is that it's a mu'jizah that suits Qur'an being the last word of God and Islam being the last mission and Prophet Muhammad being the seal of the prophets. Because no new prophet is coming. No new book is coming. No new religion is coming. So this mu'ajaza has to be the last. And therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us a mu'ajaza which lasts. <laughs> Since it is the last mujaza it lasts. We have the same access to Quran that people of the time of the prophet had. Other mu'jizas are not like this. For example, do we have access to the mu'jizah of Isa, alaihissalam or miracles? It was more than one mu'jizah. Reviving the dead, giving life to birth, making people who were blind, you know, able to see. People who had uh, illness, d- disease in skin, you know, he was reviving them. We believe in these miracles, but we don't have access to them. We cannot see them, we cannot witness them. Mojiza of Musa alayhi We don't have access to them. His hand, his uh, sticks, we don't have access, but we believe them. But the mujaza of Prophet Muhammad, the main moj of Prophet is Quran is a word which we have also access today. Actually, today. In a sense, we have more access to the Qur'an. Why? Because for the people in the time of the Prophet, Qur'an was coming gradually. And they didn't have that much, you know, culture of printing, writing down, all these things. Of course, there were people who were commissioned by the Prophet to write down. But it was not that every person in his home had a copy of the Qur'an. Today, in every home, we have not only one copy. We have many copies of the Quran. We have, you know, softwares of the Quran. We have translations of the Quran. We have recitations of the Quran. We have books, commentary on the Quran. So who has more access to this more <laughs> We have more access compared to the people of the time of the revelation. So this shows why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose a book to be the last miracle, because a book lasts, remains. And one of the beautiful things is the Quran challenges people who doubt miraculous nature of the Quran. I don't know if you are familiar with the idea of falsification you know, in philosophy of science people like popper they have introduced this idea that anything to be scientific means anything that has scientific value so that you can discuss about it in science and say it is correct or wrong we don't say to be right or you know correct we say To be even able to discuss whether it is right or not has to be falsifiable. You have to be able to disprove it. If you cannot disprove something, then it has no scientific value. There must be a way, you know, if someone makes a claim and there is no way to falsify it, then there is no way to verify it. Okay? As a funny example, you might have heard uh, about Mullah Nasruddin. Have you heard Mullah Nasruddin? He's a figure for jokes, Mullah Nasruddin. So in many cultures, you know, Farsi culture, many other cultures comes, you know, Turkish culture. So Mullah Nasruddin once was asked, where is the center of the world? So he pointed at the place that the rope of his horse was you know tied, fastened around a nail. So that is the center of the world. If you don't believe, go and measure. So there is no way for anyone <laughs> to falsify that. But we say, okay, there is no also way, way to verify that. So this is not a scientific claim. Of course, nowadays it's a scientific claim because we can measure it and you know say whether it's correct or not. But anyway. In that time, that was not possible. So, the Quran is showing you how to falsify it. It's very important. The Quran itself tells, I show you how to falsify me. I am there with a claim that I am word of God. And I show you how to falsify this. You get together, all human beings and jinns, and bring a book like the Qur'an. Then I withdraw my claim and I accept that I am not a word of God. So the Qur'an is showing people how to reject it. It's inviting. I tell you how to falsify me. Or if you find a contradiction, or I have given some news about future events, any of these which are disproved, then I withdraw my claim. They were not able to bring anything like the Quran, they were not able to find a contradiction in the Quran, they were not able to find any false news. Then the Quran even. Went further, said, you don't need to bring a book like Qur'an. Just bring 10 chapters like Qur'an. Not 114 chapters. Just 10 chapters. And not 10 long chapters like Baqarah, Ali, Imran, and Nisa, and Ma'id. Any chapter. Bring 10 short chapters. Bring 10 shortest chapters. They couldn't. The one said, okay, bring one chapter. What is wrong with you? If you say this is not word of God, so why you are not able to bring one chapter like the Quran? And it is interesting, when they tried to bring one chapter of the Quran, actually their mind stopped functioning. So they brought with the most stupid things that normally they used to speak better. You know, if you, for example, see Surah field that they created, is much lower than their normal conversation. But because they wanted to, you know, imitate the Quran, <laughs> then they came up with something which is just laughable. For example, you know, I don't know if I've seen the books, you know, when they wanted to make like surah al fil They said, you know, Al-Feel, Wamalfeel, Wama fil Lahu <laughs> you know. It became very funny. Padel? Yes, this is what we have in the books of history. So, they were not even able to function as normal. Because, you know, when you have <coughs> hatred towards the truth, when you just want to prove them yourself, then your mind, you know, functions even less than average. You know, a person who is stressful and full of hatred, he cannot function as normal. But even if they were normal, they were not able to bring that Quran, but they became even worse. So they made, you know, funny, you know, texts. So the challenge first was to bring a book like the Quran. Then became just 10 chapters, any 10 chapter. Then only one chapter. And still, no one has brought one chapter like the Quran. Then there are different aspects to the miraculous nature of the Quran. There are linguistic aspects, semantic aspects, scientific aspects, moral aspects. Inshallah, we will talk about them next session.